0: So, good evening. Yay! It's so good to be back in the Sunningdale PM congregation. And we've got lots of good news tonight. Lots of exciting, great news. I want to let you into a secret Jesus is alive. And not only is he alive, he's not watching us distantly from heaven. You know that old song, from a distance. God, he's not watching us from a distance. He's intimately involved in our lives. He's still working and he's still speaking. How do I know that? Because he spoke to me today very clearly. Uh, Jacques asked me to... He he booked me for tonight a few weeks ago. And we talked and I had a preach planned, which was great. It was a preach I'd I'd done elsewhere. So, you know, it's really easy to come and do a preach you've already prepared and practiced elsewhere. You know, polished off so it was going to be really good. And uh, then I had a backup preach just in case that one wasn't the right one. You know, so this morning I was very chilled. Until I realized no, this isn't right. And my backup preach isn't right. And then I began to sweat a little bit. (laughs) So God, what do you want me to speak on? And he dropped something into my heart and I I hurriedly prepped it and I was sitting there and I was getting my scriptures and putting it together. And even as I arrived, I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, I kind of think this is right, but... Is it going to gel? Is it come together? It's not prepared as well as I would like. You know, I'm not going to blow the guys away and they're not going to think I'm this awesome preacher anymore. (laughs) And then the the service started. And Francois shared his story. Did awesome, bud. And then Mike Rooney's leading worship and he dropped this little word about hope. And then these prophetic words started coming about hope, and everything was about hope. And I was like, hey, even I can hear God, because God told me to preach on hope. (laughs) God can speak even to me, even through me. He can speak through donkeys, he can speak through me. You know, one of the things I was chatting this week, and atheists love to try and Rip the Bible apart, right? How, how stupid it is. And, and, they point, and they go to things like, do you really believe in talking snakes? Do you really believe in talking donkeys? All of this. And I go, you know what? That's quite out there to believe in. But ultimately, our whole faith rests on one thing that is absolutely outrageous and impossible. And that's that this guy was killed and three days later came alive again. That's a lot harder to believe than a talking snake. <laughs> is that true? I don't, I don't worry try, trying to justify talking snakes and talking donkeys and uh, how old the earth is. It's like, those are interesting questions. But unless you can answer, who is Jesus, none of the other answers make any sense or will do you any good. And without Christ... There is no hope. There's vague wishes and kind of, uh, there's hope in one sense, Um, and let's maybe look at the definition of hope. If we're going to talk about hope, let's see what it means. And the dictionary says it's got different levels of meaning. So hope can be a feeling of expectation and desire for a particular thing to happen. So it can either be expectation or desire. Biblical hope embodies both. There's a desire, but there's also an expectation. It's not a vague wish. It's not Christianity isn't blow out your candles on your birthday cake and make a wish and hope something happens. Yeah? And despite what some new ages think, you know, this thing of, if you will it, the, the universe will draw it to you. If you send positive vibes, out, if that was true, everybody on this planet would be healthy, happy, and rich. Because I don't know anybody who wishes to be sick, poor, and miserable, right? If it was the secret, where if you just wish for it hard enough, it's going to come true... I would be driving a Ferrari by now. So it's not some vague woolly wish or desire. Hope, biblical hope, is there is an expectation. And it's not an expectation based on wishful thinking, it's an expectation based on something substantial, which we'll come to just now. And I'll take an old uh, Use of the word hope, which is still the thread that the Bible uses, is a feeling of trust. Where people would use the word hope, not as a vague thing, but I trust. I hope you are well is I trust you are well. Or I can place my hope in our friendship means I trust you. It's not just Hoping for something to happen, it's an expectation that something will happen. And that's biblical hope. And the Bible has a lot to say about it. And the hardest thing about prepping this preach was condensing this subject of hope uh, down into kind of bite sized, a, a couple of bite sized chunks. And perhaps the best place to start is in Hebrews 11. And Hebrews 11 verse 1, faith is the assurance of the evidence of things not yet seen. It's the assurance of things hoped for. Now, I want to put this into a bit of context, because this is a verse, and Hebrews 11 is a passage that's been misunderstood, misquoted, mistreated, and and, and, and twisted out of context. The writer of Hebrews was writing to a persecuted church. This is not a passage about health, wealth, and prosperity. In fact, towards the end of Hebrews 11, he says, some were destitute persecuted and afflicted and all of them were commended for their faith you know it's possible to live a destitute life by faith it's possible to live a life of financial blessing by faith it's possible to receive healing by faith and it's possible to live life with disease by faith I've already rocked the boat. <laughs> Some people are already shaking and thinking, what kind of heretic is this? <laughs> the writer of Hebrews is writing to a persecuted church. And what they're, they're, they're a bunch of Jewish believers. And, and for a long time, their faith has been protected. Judaism was a protected faith in the Roman Empire at this time. But Christianity was outlawed. And so you had all these Jewish Christians going, if I continue to be a Christian, I will be persecuted. And in Hebrews 10, he actually says that some of you have been arrested, some of you have had your property confiscated, and you rejoiced. When was the last time you rejoiced at having something taken away? Even your electricity. When was the last time you rejoiced about Eskom? When was the last time you you rejoiced that all your tax uh, is being wasted and stolen and squandered? When was the last time you rejoiced? When was the last time you rejoiced at suffering, like our friend told us about earlier? And so, what some of these Jewish Christians were doing, they were saying, you know what? It's the same God. The God of the Jews is the God of the Christians. So what I can do, I can stop doing the church thing and just do the Jewish thing. Because it's the same God. And I can have a form of religion without the persecution. I can have a form of religion without the cost. I can have a form of religion without the sacrifice. And I think in many ways, that's the spirit of our age today. People are saying, I, I want to be a Christian without the sacrifice. I want, a Christi- I want to be a Christian without being hated for Christ. I want to be a Christian without being controversial. See how that works out? It's like the young kid who, at school, the teacher said, What do you want to be when you grow up? What, what, what is it? Johnny said, Miss, when I grow up, I want to be a drummer. She said, you've got to choose which one. <laughs> when I grow up, I want to be a drummer. You have to choose. You can't do both. <laughs> you can be a drummer or you can grow up. <laughs> Musals get that one. Sorry. That one went down like a Led Zeppelin. Anyway. And so the writer of Hebrews is writing, and he's, he's using everything in his power to persuade them to stay firm, to stay the course, to not shipwreck their faith. He's telling them about how much better Christ is than the law, how much better Christ is than Moses. He's, 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 t- he's painting a picture of the beauty of following Christ. He also paints some pretty sobering pictures about what it means to reject Christ. But he's talking to people who are suffering and saying, hey guys, stay the course. Keep the faith. Because faith is the assurance of what you're hoping for. And maybe what you're hoping for right now is an escape from the relentless suffering and persecution you're facing. And elsewhere, Paul writes this. He talks about our light and momentary troubles. And some of us are tempted to go, well, that's okay for you, Paul. My troubles aren't light or momentary. My troubles are quite big and last a long time. And then you read about Paul's life, how often he was stoned and beaten and shipwrecked. And eventually Beheaded. And he could talk about our light and momentary troubles because he was saying this, in light of eternity, your troubles are very short. You may live to be a 100. That is a belch in eternity. However long you think you're suffering, it's, it's short, it's momentary. And it's light compared to what? The surpassing riches that Christ has for us. And yet, even in the midst of that, and he talks about stirring each other up to loving good deeds and encouraging one another, and he says that even in the midst of our troubles and difficulties, even in the midst of ESCOM, and whatever it is we're facing, and interest rate rises, and um, unemployment, and all of the challenges that we're facing, even in the midst of that, Christ comes and makes it possible to rejoice even in the midst of that. And how is that possible? That's what we're going to unpack. So faith is the assurance of what we hope for. And then in Hebrews 6, it writes this. This is a powerful passage. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. Let's just unpack that. okay? God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose. In other words, God's trying to tell us what he's like and what he's promised us and the heirs of the promise. Who are the heirs of the promise? We are. The, descent, the promise here, the prototype of the promise is the promise to Abraham. I will be your God and I will bless you and you will be a blessing to the nations. And the descendants of Abraham were blessed. But Paul writes that we are the descendants of Abraham by faith. We are heirs to the promise. And God, knowing how stupid we are sometimes, how little faith we have, says, I've told you this a million times. I've promised you. It's rather like my daughter sometimes. And this is because I'm not always, this might shock you, I'm not 100% reliable and I'll say, I'll do something. Are you sure? I've said I'll do it. Yeah, but are you sure? And sometimes we're like that with God, aren't we? Even though God is 100% reliable. And He's told us things like, Are you sure? And He says, He desired to show even more convincingly to, the, the, uh, to us His unchangeable purpose. He guaranteed it with an oath. How annoyed are you when, when you say you'll do something and somebody says, do you promise? It's like, what do you mean do I promise? I said, I'll do it. Why should I have to promise? God not only promised, but he made an oath. As though God needs to make an oath. Not to bind himself, because God will never lie. He made an oath to show to us just how unchangeable and incorruptible his purpose is for us. He guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things. What are the two unchangeable things? One, God made an oath. And two, it's impossible for him to lie. And who did he swear by? Like some people, I swear on my mother's grave. Like that means anything, you know. What did he swear by? He said, I swear by myself because there's nothing greater to swear by. And so, by two witnesses, is the fact that he cannot lie and the fact that he swore an oath, he revealed and convinces us that his promise and his purposes for us are unchangeable. So that we who have fled for refuge, you, we've run away from trouble, might have a strong encouragement to hold fast, hold strongly. What is it in Afrikaans? Fast bait. <laughs> We've got to fast bait to the hope set before us. So this hope, okay, this hope is there. This hope is sure. This hope is solid. But we've got to hold tight to it. We have a choice. And we we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. That's talking about the most holy of holies. It's talking about Jesus as the high priest went into the holy, holy of holies. He went into the presence of God on our behalf, and at his death, that veil was torn in two so that we too could enter into the presence of God. So he's saying, what is, what is the hope? What is the the hope that that anchors our soul? It's that because Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest, he's gone into the presence of God. Therefore, our hope is we too can enter the presence of God. I don't know. I thought that was exciting. I I think we've got that concept diluted. You know why? Because we go, okay, let's go into worship now. We're going to worship in the presence of God. And it's true. But if we equate that to, oh, some nice songs. Do you know what the presence of God is? I love the book of Ezekiel. In chapter 1, Ezekiel writes about this, this picture he has, this revelation of heaven. And it's really weird. And the reason it's weird is he's trying to describe the indescribable. He talks about the li- these living creatures with eyes everywhere and these thrones with wheels and inside the wheels are wheels and there's wheels within wheels and eyes and angels and this and that and, and this uh, unapproachable light and all of these things, this, this kind of graphic description of something glorious and you can just, he's, he's like, how do, I, how do I describe the indescribable? And at the end of the chapter, he doesn't say this is the glory of God. He says this was an appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. It wasn't, even, it wasn't the glory of God. It wasn't even the likeness. It was an appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. I love John. And we, we were chatting about this one day. I just oh, so powerful. John, the who described himself as the apostle that Jesus loved, who rested his head against the chest of Jesus. If anybody knew intimacy and the love of Jesus and the friendship of Jesus, it was John. And yet, when he sees the risen Christ in his vision in the book of Revelation, he says, I fall down as one dead. And then he he said, no, stand up. Because it's so glorious. The presence of God is more glorious than we can comprehend. And there's a very good reason why the Bible doesn't tell us more about it. Because we'd all kill ourselves to get there tomorrow. <laughs> when, when Paul said, to live is Christ, to die is even better. He, he was saying, you know, I could die now. And I prefer to die and go be with Jesus because to be in God's presence is far greater than to be here. But for your sake, I'll hang on a while. Living is second best. And one of the things we, we need as believers if we're truly to rejoice in our sufferings, if we're truly to hold the line, if we're truly to prevent our faith being shipwrecked, is to value and have a revelation of the wondrous, infinite riches of the grace of God and the presence of God. Otherwise, why go through difficulties? Why hold the line? Why pay a price? And I'm concerned... A little bit, I hear too many uh, leaders in Josh Chen talking about you need to die, you need to die, you need to die. And it's true, we need to die. But there's a reason we die. Why do we die? To live! If you don't know the living, why should you die? If you don't know the treasure in your field, why would you sell all your possessions to buy the field? If you've not found the pearl of great price, why would you give everything away to get the pearl? And we need a greater revelation of our eternal destiny, of the return of Christ. And too much preaching today about Christ, and we have to understand his humanity. But it's Jesus the man, Jesus the man, Jesus the man, Jesus the suffering servant. And that's great, he was a suffering servant, he was fully man. But he never stopped being fully God. And I hear too little preaching in the world today that he's coming back. And when he comes back, he's not a suffering servant, he's the reigning king. And he is coming back. When is he coming back? I don't know. I don't know. But he did say, when he was on earth, he did give an indication that it would be a long while, didn't he? The parable of the virgins with the oil lamps was don't grow weary of waiting. And I think even amongst us, there are people who've grown weary of waiting for the return of Christ. Those who wait on the Lord. And you know there's a picture from the Old Testament. From the end of Malachi to the return of Christ. Or to the first coming of Christ. There was a 400 year period where no scriptures were written. And some gave up. Some thought, oh it must be metaphor." They had all these explanations that the coming of the Messiah couldn't be a literal coming. And it was Isaiah who wrote in Isaiah 40. Those who do not give that up those who continue to wait, those whose hope is in the coming of the Messiah, they will rise up with wings like eagles. And uh, you know what? why wings like eagles? Most birds, when a storm comes, try and hide. An eagle, when a storm comes, uses the thermals and flies above the storm and looks down upon it from a godly perspective. Those whose hope is in the return of Christ and you said to me, "Mike, is he returning soon?" And I said, "Yes. Maranatha! Come quickly, Lord. How soon? I don't know. I just know it's sooner than it's ever been." And I know for myself it's going to be within the next 50 years maximum. I don't know about you, but for me one way or another, he comes for us all. Because none of us are getting out of here alive until he returns for us all. He's coming back. Do we talk about it? Do we get excited about it? Do we look at the world that's falling into depravity and, and kind of cower going, oh, we've got to survive against... Or do we say, no, there's a dead, lost broken, dying generation that we need to reach before Jesus returns. It's got to at least, according to the scriptures we've read, it's part of our hope, it's the anchor for souls. it's got to at least be a part of our motivation for why we worship, why we serve him, why we die to selves, why we reach a lost and broken generation, why we do church. He's coming again. And Paul, not Paul, the writer of Hebrews talked about an anchor. And an anchor stops the ship getting shipwrecked. In the midst of mighty winds, mighty waves and strong currents, you want a strong anchor. And let's face it, in the days in which we live, and I just want to settle you, if you're afraid or anxious because of the days in which we live and the evil of the world, I just want to assure you that God determined the times and places in which you would live. And as was said to Esther, who knows, maybe you were born and put here for such a time as this. I could quote Lord of the Rings as well, but yeah. Where where Bilbo says, I wish... This hadn't happened to me. And and Gandalf says, Everybody in your situation wishes it wasn't in your time. But here's the opportunity to rise up. And we can cower. We can go back footed. We can retreat uh, in the midst of the many waves of false doctrines that are going around, or the many waves of suffering and persecution. Or the current of our culture that's causing much of the tri- church to drift. You know why the church is drifting into culturally more and more liberal and, and worldly values? It's because they've lost their anchor. Their hope is not in Christ who will hold us firm. Their hope is in the approval of man. And here's, here's the sad news for those Churches. You can become as liberal and as man-pleasing as you want. They'll still hate you eventually. <laughs> or they'll despise you. You will become irrelevant because a church that stands for nothing will be despised. And you know the old saying, if you, if you don't stand for anything, you'll fall for everything. And so we've got this situation with, with these waves and these winds and these currents And in order for us to stay in safe harbor and not be dashed against the rocks, we need a firm anchor. And what anchors our soul is not a subjective confidence, it's not wishy-washy, it's not just this vague hope. It's an objective reality because God has promised We lay hold of the promise of God whose unchangeable plan is a a product of his unchangeable nature. He wants us to have strong encouragement to lay hold of the hope he has sworn will be ours. We are meant because he cannot lie and because he has sworn an oath. His design, his intent was that we would have a deep assurance a deep confidence that we will inherit all that he promises us so where's your anchor that's the question is your anchor still in the boat you've got to throw your anchor out there (laughs) otherwise it's no good You know, there's a story many years ago, there was a a ship, I think it was off the coast of Turkey, in a massive storm, and so they threw an anchor out, and it didn't do anything, so they threw a a second anchor out, and it wasn't doing anything, they threw a third anchor out, and it didn't do anything, and then they said, we've only got one anchor left, and it's like a small anchor, it's kind of designed for when you're in harbour, and there's no, it's not going to do anything, but we're desperate, let's throw that one out. And you know, tonight there might be some of you... You say, I've tried everything. I've tried everything. And what I've got left is this puny little thing. And it probably won't do any good, but I'm desperate. And I love God. God responds to our desperation. And they threw this fourth little anchor overboard. And that... stopped the ship being tossed around. And later what they discovered... The three big anchors, when they threw out, had landed on sand... A small anchor landed on rock and attached to the rock. And that's what held the ship firm. You can have your anchor, but where's your trust? Where's your faith? Where's your hope? One of the challenges my wife had to face a couple of years ago is I got COVID. I was in ICU in the hospital. She got two phone calls over the period of two weeks, both from a doctor saying, we think we're going to lose him. And she had to question not just her faith in God in that moment, but how much of my trust have I placed in my husband? Can I I live without my husband? And the answer is yes, she can. Probably better than she is now. (laughs) (laughs) Because anything that I can provide for my family, and I've realized this, even in that moment where, where they were getting ready with the paddles to paddle, you know, electrocute me and all of that, and I, I thought, this, this looks like it could be it, God. It's like, God, you look after my family better than I can. You, you're a better provider than I am. And if I've provided anything, it's been you working through me. It's been your strength, your grace. Apart from the bad bits, that was me. <laughs> I get, in, I get in the way trying to help him. So the question maybe isn't how much hope you've got, but where is it? And sometimes we think we've got to have huge faith, a huge hope, these big things. And Jesus said, if you've got faith the size of a mustard seed, I can work with that. Just put it in the right place. You know, I don't think faith and fear in many ways are opposites. Most people say faith and fear are opposites. In one way they are, but in another way I don't think they are. I think fear is misplaced faith. So if Mervis gets up, and Mervis is a a pretty strong dude. He's not the tallest dude, but he's as wide (laughs) as he is tall. He works out. If he came to me and said, Mike, I'm going to punch your lights out. Right? Should I be afraid? Well, it depends. If my faith is in his ability to punch my lights out, then yes, I should be afraid. But my, my fear there is an expression of my faith in his ability to do me harm. But what if God said to me, uh, Mike, in five minutes, Mervis is going to come and threaten to punch your lights out, but don't worry, I'm going to sort him out. Now, should I be afraid? Why? Because my faith has been redirected. I know his ability, but I know his ability even more. So, so, we, so faith is not a denial of circumstance. It's not saying we're not in a storm. Many of us are in a storm. But if you've got fear, it's your faith in your circumstances to determine your destiny rather than your faith in God to determine your destiny through the storm. Does that make sense? So it's not how big, it's where it's placed. Is your hope on the rock? There's an old hymn. Um, My mind always goes blank. Uh, In Christ Christ alone, is it? Or, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I will not, I dare not trust the sweetest frame. Who's sung that before? Who struggled to, what do they mean? I dare not trust the sweetest frame. Who it, it doesn't know what that means? Come on, be honest. Yeah, some honest people in church. Oh, revival's breaking out. <laughs> Basically what he's saying, frame in, in, in those days, it could speak of a, of, of, a, of a human body, of a physical presence. What he's saying, I dare not trust even the strongest of people, the most capable of people, the best man I cannot put my trust in. I dare trust in nothing other than lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, although the ground is sinking sand. When darkness veils his lovely face. You know those times, the dark, long dark night of the soul that was mentioned earlier? Those times when it's hard to see God? I still rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. What veil? The veil that goes into the Holy of Holies. My hope is within the Holy of Holies. My hope is in the presence. My hope is on Christ, who was the forerunner who went into that place before me, and not only as a forerunner to promise me that I could be there, but who is even now praying and interceding for me at the right hand of the Father. I find that incredible to think that today, in the midst of your circumstance, and I'll be, I'll be honest, sometimes in the midst of my difficulties, I don't pray as often as I should or with as much faith as I could. But here's the thing, in the midst of my most serious trials, guess who is praying for me? Mervis. <laughs> and Jesus! Jesus right now in the midst of your circumstances is interceding. He's speaking to the Father and saying, bless this person. Help this, p- strengthen them. Pour your grace out on them. That's what Hebrews 6 is talking about. So I'm getting a bit worked up tonight. I need the white handkerchief and the, the whole thing tonight. What do we hope for? Why do we have hope? 1 Corinthians 15, let's read there. And again, this is Paul. And Paul saying, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Then if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. I may as well go home now. And your faith is in vain. All your prayers, all your church attendance all your tithing, in vain, waste of time, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. We are even found to be misrepresenting God. In other words, we become liars because we've told the world that he's raised from the dead, and if he hasn't, that means we're liars, and we've misrepresented God. That's heresy, right? So if the dead are not raised, everything's a waste of time. Let's go on. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who've fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Not only are we still in our sins, but those, the heroes of the faith, they're not in heaven either because there's no resurrection. We're all in the grave. If Christ has not been resurrected, then it goes on to say this. If in this life only we've hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Now, we can read that two ways. In the context of the scripture, he's saying, if our hope is only in this life because there's no resurrection, what a pitiable bunch of people you are, or as Mr. T would say, I pity the fools. (laughs) But I think we can apply it, and I think Paul would forgive me, even if we believe in a resurrection of the dead, but our hope is in this life, we're still to be pitied. Maybe then we're even more pitiable, because we know there's another life, we know there's an eternity, and we're disregarded and live for this life. And it saddens me. Uh, As an elder, I've been dealing with a number of cases recently of people who are shipwrecking their faith because they want something now and they're not prepared to obey Christ to gain that resurrection. They're willing to sell their inheritance for a pot of stew. They're putting their faith. It's like, like, I need this Girl, to make me happy. You know what? You're putting your anchor, in. your trust is in her. And guess what? It's not going to be strong enough to keep you in the midst of a storm. But if in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who fall asleep, then, then what? What does it mean if Christ has been Raised from the dead. Any ideas? I know what scripture says. I want. What does it mean if Christ has been raised from the dead? What does it mean for us? It means that all those in Christ will be made alive. Because he is the first fruits of many. And it goes on to say in verse 23, you don't have to turn there. But when he comes, those who belong to him, and the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of God, to God the Father after he's destroyed all the dominion, for he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. When he comes and death is destroyed, we'll be presented to the Father, righteous, holy, Forgiven. Isn't that something worth living for? Maybe it's even something worth dying for. I'll tell you what isn't worth dying for religion and meetings and nice songs and motivational speeches. I hope this isn't a motivational speech. I really do. That's not worth dying for. Belonging to some religious club is not worth dying for. Jesus and eternal life. Now that, that's worth dying for. And that's my hope. It's worth living for. It's worth sacrificing for. It's worth giving for. It's worth tithing for. Oh, no, you're going to get in trouble. Some people would rather die than tithe, you know. that. <laughs> Am I being naughty now? Yeah. No. I've said this before. It's, uh, T-Rex Christians, you know what a T-Rex Christian is? When the offering plate comes around, they go, No, my arms are too short. I can't reach my pocket. Romans 8 also speaks about hope. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Even the world in which we live, creation, nature. And not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. That means, how how many of you have experienced the Holy Spirit in such an incredible way that you think nothing beats this? Guess what? That's a deposit, that's a small down payment on what is to come. How many of you have felt just that that grace of God of being forgiven, of being set free? Down payment. How many of you have experienced inexplicable joy? Down payment. And we, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? If you've seen it, you don't hope for it. What he's saying is, have we seen something? Have we seen salvation? Have we seen deliverance? Have we seen freedom? Yes, we've seen it all we've seen nothing yet. You ain't seen nothing yet. But baby, you ain't seen nothing yet. Everything that we experience on this earth, even the beauty of creation, we live in one of the most beautiful cities in the world. Guess what? Compared to the new heavens and the new earth, it's going to look like Bolton, which is where I'm from. <laughs> even the earth that we see is a pale imitation of the glory to come. Your bodies, even Moses' perfect physique, is a pale shadow of the glorified bodies to come. This is our hope that we were saved into. How quickly we lose sight of eternity. How quickly we put our hope In other things. How quickly our anchor is thrown out onto the sand. In Romans 5, we rejoice in our sufferings. How many of you rejoice in your sufferings? Come on, be honest. It's difficult, isn't it? It's difficult. Francois, how easy is it to rejoice in your sufferings? (laughs) knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance producing character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame or does not disappoint us we can rejoice in our suffering because we know what we're going through in this life shapes us for the next and our hope is that God can come through and comfort us and heal us and deliver us in this life. But more than that, it's that God, through his will and through his works, will prepare us for eternity. That's the heart of 1 Peter 4 that that Francois was reading earlier. Yeah, God, love me a little less. (laughs) You know, I'm suffering a bit here. I can't handle this. I'm being buffeted by this storm that's too big for my little bolt. And I'm rowing as hard as I can. But I'm rowing against a gale force storm. And I'm being crushed. I'm being rushed towards the rocks. And my whole life is going to be just just shipwrecked. Wait a minute. I've got an anchor. I've got an anchor. And in the midst of the storms, I can rejoice because I've got an anchor. I'm not a masochist. I don't rejoice that I'm suffering. Thank you, Jesus, that this, this hurts so bad. It's not rejoicing for our sufferings, it's rejoicing in our sufferings. We're weird enough, okay? Somebody once said this In order to realize the worth of the anchor, we need to feel the stress of the storm. And when you come through the storm, and your anchor is held, and you've seen out the storm, and you don't go, hey, that was all due to my amazing rowing ability. No, you testify. Thank God that I had an anchor, my hope in Christ alone. 1 Timothy 1, Paul introducing himself as an apostle, but he introduces himself like this. I hope this is making sense. 1 Timothy 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. I'm here as an apostle, not look at me. I'm the man of God, the man of anointing with the magic hanky and, you know. No, no, no. I am what I am because my hope is in Christ. And in Titus. And I want to share this because there are people here who maybe have never actually decided to place your trust in Christ. You may even be here tonight because life sucks. You're like, I'll try anything once if it'll only help. And I can promise you this if you come to Jesus, it wouldn't necessarily make your life suck less. It'll secure you in the midst of the suck. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> A friend of mine, somebody said, he said, whenever people tell me life sucks, I says, compared to what? <laughs> and I want to say this, if, if you've never made that choice to put your hope in Christ who was raised from the dead. He died for you. He rose from the dead in order that he could be a forerunner and promise you eternal life. And tonight, God has brought you here so that you can make that choice to receive a free gift. God, how much does it cost to get this anchor? It costs everything and nothing. It, it's a free gift which requires you to say, I give up putting my trust in myself and other things and choose to put my trust totally in you. And in Titus, he writes this. Sorry, this isn't the fault of the uh, AV guys. It's my fault for adding scriptures and changing things around at the last minute. But Titus 2, from verse 11. For the grace of God, the undeserved Favor of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. It teaches us and empowers us not to be swept along. By the values and the cultures and the winds and the waves of this world. It teaches and empowers us to stay true to him in this life while we wait for our blessed I never do this. Turn around to your neighbor and say hope. Hope. <laughs> hope. <laughs> and what is our blessed hope? The glorious appearance of Appearing of of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. How do we endure? How do we persevere? How do we overcome? How do we stay strong? How do we stay in the truth? How do we stay the course? How do we prevent our faith being shipwrecked? We use the anchor, that hope, which is an anchor to our souls, resting in Christ alone. And our beautiful hope that He is returning, the conquering King, to take us to Himself, to glorious future in him free of sin free of pain and free in death and that would sound like some strange fairy tale if it wasn't so rooted in truth and a truth that he's revealed to us and a truth that he has confirmed time and time and time again through the way he speaks and the way he works And here's the good news. Because I don't want to say, I don't want us leaving thinking we just suffer in this world to get reward in the next. The beautiful thing is that as a demonstration of the truthfulness of his promises, he gives us a down payment now. Remember Abraham, who was promised a son? And he got a son. Do you know in Hebrews it says he never received the promise? Because he cannot, and the heroes of the faith could not receive their promise or inheritance apart from us. In other words, he saw the promised land and he saw Isaac as a down payment of something even greater and more beautiful. And what happened is something of eternity was manifested in his present to confirm the promises and the purposes and the greatnesses of God. And he can do that for you. And that's why I believe in healing and deliverance and salvations now as a down payment of what's to come. I believe that God can provide finances supernaturally. I've seen it in my own life too many times. I've seen people healed of of AIDS and cancers and TBs and uh, uh, miraculously uh, get pregnant. I've seen so many miracles. I've seen the down payments. But my hope is not in the down payments. The down payments are a guarantee, it's a lay by. Yeah, you know the concept of a lay-by. I'll pay you now. I'll come and pick it up later. The Holy Spirit is the lay-by. It's he's he's a promise. He's going to come and pick you up. <laughs> My hope is built on nothing less. Than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Are we a people prepared and willing and be crazy enough to hope? Will we be a people of hope? Because this world is hopeless. This world is hopeless. Do you know that... Uh, just My daughter was reading me some statistics about suicide and suicide attempts yesterday. Only because she's studying psychology, not because she's obsessed with <laughs> death or anything. The statistics are scary. The number of people who seriously consider or try or, f- or succeed in, in, in killing themselves is astronomically high. And, you know, there's all these things about, let's talk about mental health, let's, let's talk, you know, all these things to try and encourage better mental health. And despite all those efforts, you know what's happening to suicide rates? They're shooting through the roof. They're shooting through the roof. There is a hopelessness in the world out there. There's a hopelessness about South Africa in many people. If only I had a British passport, I would leave this place. I have a British passport. I'm not leaving this place. You know why? Because my hope is not in the government. It's not in financial institutions. My hope is in Jesus Christ. And if he wants me here, I will be nowhere else because my trust is in him and him alone. Do you dare hope? And do you dare place your hope in Christ alone? I'm convinced this is a message from... This isn't a good preach. It's not well structured. I've not got all my points. But I believe it's a word from the Holy Spirit to stir our hearts to once again consider living for eternity. To consider again... Why is it we give out? Why did we send, surrender our lives to him? Why are we here tonight? And some of us, I believe, we need to grab hold of that hope again. Maybe even by repenting. Because we can't, we can't take hold of one thing without letting go of another. And maybe you've been placing your hope in your finances or your job or your parents, or your husband, or your wife, or your own good looks. (laughs) I know that one's really funny, right? (laughs) Maybe we need to repent of placing our trust in the wrong thing and our hope in the right thing. And tonight say, Lord, I come before you. I choose today. I choose hope. And I choose to put my hope in you. Because I know that you rose from the dead and that that is my future. And for some, that might be the first time you've ever done it. You've never ever, as I said before, put your hope in Jesus. so I want to ask you in a moment, if that's you and you know tonight you need to make a choice to put your hope in Jesus, whether it be the first time or the 50th time. (laughs) Because the good news is, you know, when when the disciples said to Jesus, I, how often must we forgive? Jesus' answer was 70 times 7. In other words, you, you forgive as often as necessary. And sometimes we can come to the point where we go, oh God, I failed again. Surely you can't forgive me again. And the answer is, it doesn't matter how many times you failed. When we repent, he's waiting with open arms. So I'm going to ask you to stand in a moment. If you know tonight, and don't delay, I've, my hope has been in the wrong thing. Or I've lost hope. And I want to say this. There's a time in my life a couple of years ago where my circumstances seemed so dark. And I felt I, my faith to overcome that was gone. And all I had left was hope. And I was on the verge of giving up hope. It was like, God, even you can't fix this situation. And He took me back to Abraham. And it says of Abraham that when God promised him a child, both he and his wife were so old it was impossible. It was a hopeless situation. And it says he hoped against hope. In other words, even when all the evidence was that it was hopeless, he chose hope. I feel like there's some people tonight, you found yourself in a hopeless situation. Even when I mentioned suicide, I think some of you pricked up because... You've been there, or you are there, and you've lost hope. And tonight, don't leave this place hopeless. Don't leave here without hope. And don't leave here with your hope placed in the sand. Have your hope placed in the rock. So if that's you tonight, you need to respond to that word. You're feeling hopeless, you've given up hope, or you know you need to surrender and place your hope back in Christ again. Can't you just stand where you are right now? I would love to pray for you and minister to you. Let his Holy Spirit work as a deposit of the promises that he, he gave us, not just by the fact that he does not lie, but that he made an oath by himself. Just be brave enough, stand where you are right now. Say, I need to choose to hope in Christ today. Thank you for your courage and your obedience. Thank you. That's awesome. Thank you. Well done, young man. Awesome. Anybody else? Maybe you sat there and you, you're kind of having this mental battle. Does my situation fit in? With, it doesn't care what I've asked for. If the law is prompting you to respond, respond. Respond to his prompting, not mine. And you might think, oh, people might think I'm not saved or I'm backslidden. I don't care what people think right now because your hope is not in your reputation. Your hope is in Christ alone. And I really believe that there are some people, more people who need to stand. Especially that sense of hopelessness. I really feel like God is on this just before Mike. Mike said, there's some, of, there's some here, your, your hope has been in other things. Just before he said that, the, the Lord whispered that into my heart. That he, he, wants to, he wants to call people back to them putting their hope in him and him alone. I really do feel this is a holy moment. And um, I'm just so encouraged, like, those standing or those sitting, just close your eyes for a moment. Don't look around if you need to stand with this invitation I want you to stand if you need to place your hope again in Him or maybe you've been without hope just stand just stand Let's just turn our hearts towards the Lord. Lord, we, we will never truly know the price you paid to bring that hope to us. The darkness you experienced and the pain and the agony as you cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you experienced that so that we need not be forsaken. And you went from the grave (laughs) to the right hand of the Father. You were resurrected into the Father's presence as a forerunner, as a promise for us. That whatever graves we find ourselves in, whatever difficulties, whatever darkness we have hope because you went there first but Lord I pray that we would be a people whose focus is on eternity who live not for this life and the pleasures it brings but live for your glory and the blessings of eternity and that we as your people would be an oasis of hope among a hopeless people people trying to find identity and hope and meaning in so many things that will ultimately only produce rejection let us be a bright light shining out and showing where hope truly lies And for those who've responded. Just come meet them where they're at, God. As I said before, it's not even how big our hope is, but the fact that we're willing to put it into you. And even those who are holding on to the merest sliver, the last little glimpse of hope, that it would be in you and that you would then strengthen that hope. That if there's anybody here who's never chosen to put, put their faith in you, that they would do that now. And you would respond with an assurance. Because faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And I prayed that faith would grow in us all that evidence, that certainty, that assurance of what we hope for. Christ in us. Thank you, Jesus. I want to pray for the hopeless. I want to pray for those who've been considering hurting themselves, taking their lives. God, that no matter how dark things are, you shine bright when the, dark gets no- when the night gets darkest. And I pray that you would meet them where they're at and show them that there is hope and meaning and purpose. Your unchangeable purpose for them is life.